At my shop, family comes first and money comes second. Depending on who you ask. But the best part, you never know what's gonna come through that door. This is Pawn Stars. As a Star Wars aficionado, everybody knows this figure. First debuted in 1979, Toy Fair. This was the prototype. And, you know, Boba Fett is really, literally the most famous character in Star Wars. I mean, he, he might be more popular than Darth Vader. When I take a look at the whole thing, um, I've seen this before. Especially have seen this instruction before. Okay, so what do you say? It's not real. This is Andy Mazur, the podcast. As we welcome you into another edition of Andy Mazur, the podcast. Yes, indeed, that is an underrated television show, Pawn Stars. Easy to binge on the History Channel or some of the local channels as well. They, uh, they show those in reruns. But uh, it's a it's an interesting show. And uh, people bringing in a lot of interesting items to have appraised. And they want to sell. They get into little haggling issues. And it's, it's kind of fun to, to kind of watch uh, some of the things that get brought into that shop. And it's uh, really interesting because I know one of the guys that's on the show. Yeah, maybe he's not the uh, the owner of the pawn shop itself, but he certainly is one of the experts that they do call in. And uh, at this time... Well, we welcome in an old friend, and uh, I don't mean that he's old, but uh, a friend of mine for a long time, uh, Steve Grad, who you may know now from uh, his appearances on Pawn Stars. But see, I met this guy first when he was actually a sportscaster. I mean, go back to those days, will you? Uh, it's, it's hard to, you know what, sometimes it's hard to think back to those days, but I do remember a lot of them. Uh, there was some actually pretty crazy times and they were, oh my God, there was you, um, there was uh, Mark, who's at AM1000. Um, God, Mike Greenberg was there those days. There was maybe David Schuster, who I still talk to. Um, as a matter of fact, David Schuster has a podcast I've been on. I talk to Dave all the time. Bruce Levine, who I still talk to. Bruce Bruce has been trying to get on Pawn Stars, so he he contacts me all the time. Really, he's got a collection. Yeah, he does. Bruce collected for a long time, and he had a uh, like a signed Cubs bat or something. He wanted to bring on the show, so it's just not that easy. But I tried, but they were just like, "Yeah, probably not." So, <laughs> all right, I want to get into Pawn Stars in a second, but I want to go back to our, our sportscasting days still too, because you, know, you sure. asked quite a bit uh, in the quote unquote bullpen there at our, our days at one on one sports and. You know, I can't believe that you didn't want to continue that down that road. Yeah, it was really hard to believe, wasn't it? <laughs> you had so much I fun think back I, then, I, I used, can't believe it. I used to talk about the early days. I, I uh, went to Columbia College in Chicago. And I, well, I went to Roosevelt and Columbia. And at Columbia, I was on their sports radio station. And I, I kind of got bored with it after a while. But I was still going to school. And, uh, uh, you know, I was told, you know, you need to, be, you need to go get an internship. I said, okay, well, I've done TV internships. I'd done NBC and Fox. And a matter of fact, Fox let me stay for like a year in their sports department. It was great. I learned a lot, but I wanted to do radio. And uh, I think I, I they said, well, go do traffic. We'll get you set up at shadow traffic. And I'm like, I, I don't want to do traffic. But what it evolved into was me getting a full-time job and working crazy hours, but getting thrown on the uh, – sports stations like doing uh, weekend updates in, on AM 1000 and then man cow show, which I was on for almost two years. And then that went right into one-on-one -on -one sports. But um, unfortunately I think the thing that I learned if I wasn't Rush Limbaugh or Howard Stern radio probably wasn't going to be a place I was going to make a ton of money. And I loved it. 
and God, I like being on the air and I like calling the action. And um, I, I think the things I really enjoyed, Andy, were the reporting and getting out and covering the events. And, you know, I do, I did like the anchoring. It, it seems so difficult to, you know, the sports updates we used to do. And I remember my first day doing it and uh, you, I had a little stopwatch, you know, watching a stopwatch. And after about a week, I just never paid attention to it again after that. So it, yeah. it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, but, you know, quite honestly, the money wasn't what I needed it to be. Uh, I, don't, I, I never thought it was great in radio, but I think we did it just to be on the air and kind of it was kind of a passion. So, you know, and believe me, that was back in 93, 94, 95. Um, it's hard to believe I had that whole life. That's now it's over here and it's never going to, I'm never going back to it, but it was a great life. I enjoyed it very much. Yeah. That's, you know, I, I go back to my early days in radio too and think the same thing. I mean, yeah, we weren't making any money, but there was a bunch of people that were around the same age, same interests, obviously, because we were in sports radio at the time. And the things that happened off the air were probably more fun than the things that happened on the air. I remember a night at one-on-one uh, -on -one sports where it was snowing like crazy outside. I had to go out with a broom and brush off the satellite dish so we could so we could see the last game that was going on that we had to report on and you could yeah you couldn't see it i i got i do remember some crazy times though i mean even off the air i remember one morning i was there must have been a i don't even know if it was like a friday morning i was doing sports updates and back then we had to rely a lot we had a ticker that would pump out stuff from the ap and i grabbed the stuff and i started going through it and i don't know if it was my first or second but it had something to do with JT Snow being traded. But I think he was already traded or something. I don't even know what happened. But next thing you know, his dad calls the station. He calls one-on-one -on -one sports network and says, hey, my son has not been traded. And he was flipping out. And it turns out that the AP had pumped out like a report from six months earlier or something. And I just grabbed it probably at the last minute, didn't proof it too much, and just went on with it. And those were the days where I was like, boy, man, um, did a really good job here. I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> they used to call that rip and read yeah just get off the read. ip wire and just read it and don't even proof it but whatever but uh, to be honest with you after a while you had a system down didn't yeah. you? you had a system yeah. i had a system and when when i used to go in i used to try and go in like two hours early and brush up on everything and then it'd be then those times came way down way down way down way down and then my shift would start at whatever one o'clock and i'd get there at like 12 12 45 or 12 50 but I would be ready to do it because we've just been doing it so many times. It got, you know, it was kind of like, I don't know if it's like that for you now with the White Sox broadcast or, you know, when you do play-by-play uh, -play or pre-game, I know you study a lot, you do a lot of research, but you're, you're in that mode where you just know when that mic goes on, you're ready to go. Yeah. My, my prep times have gotten a lot shorter just because, and you know, I think it's with any, anything, you know, you learn what the important things are. You learn what you don't have to worry about yeah. anymore because you worry about everything at the beginning. because You want to yes. make sure all your bases are covered, but as, as you move on, it's kind of, uh, you, you learn your systems. Yeah. That's and I'd I, say that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. Well, it was, it was, uh, this is where, where I met you and, uh, you know, I, I look at you now and I'm thinking, boy, I knew that guy when, and, uh, it, it kind of, you know, <laughs> Makes me crazy a little bit, but that's okay. Yeah, you, know, you grew up in the, you grew up in Chicago, in the right. area, and uh, I, I see by the the hat that you're wearing right now, you were a White Sox fan, obviously. Uh, of course, you're passionate. I mean, that that's the thing too. I mean, about Chicago sports fans, and and you're moving around the country now. You're, you're living in Arizona. You're you're around around town a lot, but you know you never lose that. You never lose that city, mm -hmm. and it, it's always in you, isn't it? Why do people always say that? Aren't you? Hey. If you're moving to Vegas, are you going to become a Raiders fan? Um, 
No, I, no. I would, I, and I'd rather eat this box of Kleenex. It's just not, not going to happen. Um, you know, I used to live in Los Angeles area. Oh, so are you going to become a fan of the teams there? Uh, no. Um, but I still follow my teams, you know, especially with the Blackhawks when the playoffs, they played in Anaheim. They played in Los Angeles. I would go out there and see them. Um, I try to make it back in Chicago to see playoff games. Um, White Sox, up until this really stinks because we had no opening day, technically. You were there. Right. But we had no opening day. So my opening day streak ended, I think, at 27 or 28. So I'd gone every opening day all those years. Yeah, I don't think this counts. I think this is, uh, this is one of those things where you, <laughs> you don't even have to put the asterisk by it because I, I just don't think this counts. This was a season that was ridiculous. And I know there's a lot of people that have those streaks. I say if I'm a commissioner of streaks intact, yours is still intact. Okay. So I appreciate that because that would mean a lot to me. Hopefully next year it happens. I don't know if it will still. I don't think anybody knows the answer to that. So whenever baseball comes back to the point where we're able to actually get in the stands and, and sit down and, you know, go to a game again, I can't wait. It'll be a lot of fun. I went to, this is from the spring training site at Camelback. I went to a game. I want to say maybe the 6th of March, 5th of March, right in that range. It was right before everything got shut down. And uh, seats like right off the field were like five bucks. So can't beat that. Went to a game. Yeah, I went to a game with my girlfriend and had a nice time. And I said, Oh, I need a new hat. So I have never worn it. So it's a spring training hat. Perfect. I'm glad you debuted it. I'm glad you debuted it right here. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's the uh, debut of the hat. Yeah, exactly. When, when you were a kid, did you go to a lot of games? Yeah, we always did. Yeah, we, we had season tickets starting in 81. We had uh, Bears, we had Blackhawks, we had Bulls, Sox not a cub fan but my dad still had him for work but we i went like to the cubs first night game i think that got was the out. first one yeah. rained out i was there at that one and then they played another one after that right yeah they played but, one the next night yeah i went to the first one that got rained out so i thought that would be a cool game to go to the all-star game at wrigley when it was there years ago um i always enjoyed doing that stuff you know but I, we were diehard Sox fans and back starting in probably 82 83 i'd go to 30, 40 games a year. So, you know, and, and, and I watch them all the time. This season, obviously, I really got frustrated at the beginning and then at the end. It was like, yeah. it, you take those two parts and you were, you know, you saw it all, but that middle part was amazing. The front part was really frustrating. The back part the last few weeks really kind of grated on me as a fan. I was very upset, but my dad always tells me, you're not, you can't play the games, kid. What are you going to do? You, know, you can't, <laughs> you can't control it. We have to learn that too. And, and and I wish more fans understood that because, you know, we had the Giolito no hitter during the year and yeah. we were being really, really careful about not saying the words because obviously that's one of those crazy traditions in baseball. And, <laughs> and if I did say it and he lost it, I, I guarantee you Twitter would have been going crazy. Oh, you jinxed it. And I keep telling people, and I respond every once in a while saying, if I had that much power, do you think that I would have let this guy get a hit? I mean, seriously. <laughs> Seriously. Exactly. Yeah, but and I, you don't I, have I that power, but you don't want to jinx it either. And no, you have to call a great game too. Yeah, that was pretty, that, that was that, pretty fun. I mean, you 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 did a great job this year. It was it was so awesome to hear you broadcasting, and I'm like, oh man, Andy sounds great. And I knew you'd work with the Padres before. You know, I think I'd heard you with you know you mm -hmm. were you worked with Tony too, right, Tony? Yeah. 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 So I mean, that's great stuff for you. But I mean, I, I I really enjoyed it this season. I know it's hard to slide in when someone you know passes away that Ed Farmer did, but yeah. He, he did a great job. And Darren, uh, on it, Darren, Darren started with uh, Harrelson years ago. Mm -hmm. And I remember Harrelson, God, he used to ride him hard. Yes. And I'm sure that I've, I've heard some stories and I know there's many stories and I don't <laughs> think they got along too great. 
for a few years, but he has really done a fantastic job. I know it takes a while as a former player. And I think a lot of those guys think they could probably just slide right in and do, you know, radio or TV. And it's, you know, just talking about a guy yesterday that was a perfect example is Jason Witten. I mean, Mm Jason Witten thought he'd retire, get all this money for being a great analyst, and he was uh, not a great analyst. Not very good. Playing yeah. football again. No. And it's tough. And But Darren's done an absolutely fantastic job. Yeah, TJ, yeah. he's a great guy. He's a lot of fun to work with. Easy to get to know. And one of those kind of guys you feel like you've known for forever when you, when you meet him for the first time. Uh, great, great person. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I want to turn it back to you here because this is not a podcast yeah. about me. It's a podcast about you, Steve. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, when you were going to these games, and I'm, I'm looking at you now with the, and the you know, collectibles and, and autographs and things of that nature, were you aware? I mean, when you went to the Cubs night game, were you aware to, to, to keep the ticket stub? And when you went to the, world, uh, to the uh, All-Star game, were you, were you that kind of person that knew then that, hey, I better hang on to this? Yeah, even in 83, we went to the All-Star game in Chicago. And my, my dad said, I remember we got out of the car. We went really early so we could try and get autographs, my brother and I, and at uh, Comiskey. And my dad said, hey, I could get at least 500 a piece for these tickets. You guys sure? He's like, I'll give you all the money. And I was 13. And I'm like, no, I want to go to that game. And we kept the tickets in mint condition. Um, the day before they had the old timers game, I still have all the tickets and stuff like that. Even the Cubs games, I used to save that. And I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I covered the Bulls for, I'm trying to think. I, I think I covered the final three runs, I still have all that stuff. So I have all the press passes, credentials. But what I did do, and I did this back then, which was like taboo, Jordan had that press conference where he retired, I think at 98 or whatever. That was it. He was done. Um, I was able to take, I took the whole press folder, which I kept in mint condition, uh, my credentials, everything from that day. And I had a friend of mine sell it for me. I, literally that day on eBay and it went for like $600. So um, this stuff actually has pretty good value. If you want to know the truth, the bull stuff does. Okay. Um, if you go back and look through your stuff, I, I have all my credentials still. So I do too. Yeah. And I'm like, huh, maybe I should get rid of those someday. I mean, I still have them all. And I kept like a whole folder filled with all my media stuff that I kept. And I mean, you know what, some of it, big games you went to, or um, I think I went to the game where Sosa hit uh, maybe 62, maybe it was in Milwaukee, I think. Um, uh, against Milwaukee at Wrigley. Okay. I want to say. I, th- I know I was at the yeah. game where he hit something big, I, but I kept all that stuff. The Bulls' big win, at 62nd win, I believe, was mm-hmm. at Bradley Center, Milwaukee. I think you're right. Yeah, I went to that game. So, I mean, I would cover the games. In 96, I got to do the um, – I covered the whole finals and went to Seattle and did all that stuff, which was a great experience. And um, I, I caused a lot of problems with the NBA, but it was a lot of fun because <laughs> – at the time, I was on Man Cow Show. Okay. And, oh, I got you. And uh, so Man Cow said, well, you, you got to have something signifying you're on my show. I said, well, technically, I'm not really on your show. I worked for Shadow uh, Traffic at the time, but I was, I was contracted out to him, and he, uh, they made a mic flag. So every day, that man, it would say Man Cow on the mic flag. And it was M-A-N and then C-O-W underneath it and uh brian mcintyre i used to work with the bulls and he was nba pr guy he finds me one day in seattle after a practice he's like hey can i talk to you a second i'm like yeah he's like uh who do you work for and i said well i'm here for shadow traffic but i'm contracted out to a a radio show in chicago he goes oh he's like okay we're seeing that mic flag everywhere it's becoming a problem (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well you made your mark 
Yeah. Well, he said, well, here's the thing. You either have to get rid of the mic flag or we have to take back your credentials. I said, I'll just get rid of the mic flag. So next thing I knew, my flag was gone and I still cover the series and turned out to be a lot of fun to do that. And, you know, I, I think the thing is, you you know, I'm a fan of the teams, but it's hard not to get caught up in it. You're in that locker room after they win a championship. I remember being down on the floor during one of them and they had told the press to stand on the Bulls uh, seats, like on their bench. So we we're standing so we could see what was going on. And it was crazy because we couldn't see anything. And um, it was hard not to get caught up as a fan. I think I contained it for the most part, but it was neat being at those games, man. I mean, I, I can't say I didn't have a great time because I did. And, you know, I, I remember even in Seattle, this was a taboo too, but I mean, I could talk about it now. I, I remember seeing Eddie better in the stands um, for one of the games. I went to a music store, bought a bunch of CDs from Pearl Jam. And then the next game, same seats, him and Jeff, I met. I went down there and they signed all the stuff for me. And I talked. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. I mean, and you know, the, the weird thing too, I mean, if you look at the, the back of all these credentials, it always, it always warns the media, you know, do not solicit autographs. Do not, we're, yeah. we're going to we'll pull these things from you. And, you know, there's so much temptation because you are around these guys so much. And you do realize that Jordan's a once in a lifetime kind of a, a, a player. You, you'll never cover a guy like that again in your life. It's so tempting, but you well, got to follow. It is, te- it is tempting. <laughs> I would remember be, be by his locker after these games. And most of the time during the season, Jordan would just sit down in his locker and talk after the game. And you'd have to wait for him. And he can't, he would come out the door right to his locker because he was, the door was right next to his locker at the United center. And I remember I would always be sitting there and see these, I'd be looking like this. I'm like, Oh man, those are some nice game shoes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) See if I can snow my jacket. (laughs) I never, never did. Never did any of that. I, I mean, it was fun being a part of that. You get to know some of the guys. It was a lot of fun always being around them being around the team stuff. I had chased Jordan's autograph for years growing up as a kid. So I'd start meeting, meeting him in 86, 87. Um, this is a story that I thought was really funny. I think, I think about 93 or 94, might've been 94. I was covering kind of my first event. And I think I might've done it even when I was at Columbia college. I think it was for Columbia and it was for Wheaties and uh, on Michigan Avenue. It was like Michigan and uh, maybe Oak or something that in this, building they had this event with all these past Wheaties cover people um Chris Everett Michael Jordan uh Walter Payton was there uh Mary Lou Retton uh Bruce Jenner was there maybe like six seven people and afterwards they're all talking and stuff and I'd gone up to Jordan and um we finished and he looks at me he goes what are you doing here I said what do you mean he goes man you're not supposed to be here I said no I'm working and he just laughed at me he said sure you are <laughs> I said, no, no, I have this career now. I'm working on my career. He goes, okay. But he was nice about it. And a few times at the United Center, he'd glance over and just look at me and he'd just shake his head like in the interviewer and just look at me like whatever. Because he has, he had, out of all people, he had such a great memory. And he had a facial recognition that I don't, it's, it's amazing. He would always remember people. And Jordan was very good at it, you know. And that was, you know, it was, it was cool, you know, watching uh, The Last Dance. It was really neat to see all that stuff. Did you see yourself watch of it? You were not. I did not. No. Uh. Uh. No. I I tried to look for myself. I mean, there was there was parts where they showed like above view at the Birdo Center, or uh, maybe during the NBA playoffs. You know, they they take like four people and put them in the corners, and sometimes 
you know, I would look and see, but I have no idea what I was wearing that day or I was a lot fatter. So, you know, I, I, I blended in with some of the bigger guys there, like, you know, you know, some Jerry Cook or one of those guys. So yeah, <laughs> could have just blended in. Perfect. Yeah, that's, that's that was my uh, objective, too, just to kind of blend in and make sure people knew I was there. But, you know, I didn't want to stick yeah. out like a sore thumb. You know, it's funny you mentioned Jordan with the recollection and the, and the memory and the facial recognition. We mentioned Tony Gwynn a bit ago and Tony amazed me all the time. We would go to do a game in San, in St. Louis and we'd walk across the street from the hotel to the ballpark and he would get swarmed and right. he would sign and he would, you know, be really careful about who he was signing for. He would look and see that after the game, we'd have to walk back. So we get swarmed again and he would look a guy dead in the eye and go, Nope, I signed for you this morning. Get out of here. <laughs> She's just like, like, how did you remember? He goes, I remember all of them. He goes, trust me. I remember they're, they're the same faces all the time around me. It was crazy. Yeah, and I think I think city to city, those guys get uh, my my friend Pat Nishak pitched in the majors for eleven years. Really good friend of mine. But Pat would tell me he's like every time, every city, it's the same guys over and over. And Pat told me he would just sit in his room until like the bus time, and then he would go down to the bus. And then he, some cities, he told me he would get sick of the same guys. So Chicago, he quit signing at the hotel for like three years. And then finally, I'm like, hey, Pat, I have a bunch of friends of mine who want you to sign some stuff. Can you just make sure you stop today? It was like the only time he stopped in three years to sign for guys. Because he said, you know what? I kind of get sick of it. I see the same guys. And I just heard a, a funny story about Nolan Ryan. Uh, a friend of mine has done signings, autograph signings with Ryan going back to the early 90s. He's been friends with him forever. And he said they would have to do these signings in rooms and um, on the road. So, um the Rangers would be in Chicago. They'd stay at the Westin and they would get an adjoining room with Ryan and Ryan would just come in there during the day and sign stuff. And by the way, Ryan made at the time going back to like his later years, his retirement years, he made a couple million dollars just constantly signing autographs for this company. Hmm. So it was a nice little payoff for him, but he had to sit there during the day. And my friend Harry told me, he's like, yeah, I always remember, you know, no one would look downstairs and see all the collectors waiting. He's like, yep. I'll go see them soon too. So he would, and he would do that all day and then he'd come out and sign for everybody waiting for him. And that was like that last hurrah for Ryan this last season, I think in the major. So and everybody came out to see him. Yeah. And they're funny stories, but the guys always remember. They just, some guys have great facial recognition and obviously Tony Gwynn was one. Tony Gwynn, you know, by the way, was one of the nicest guys you could ever meet in the world. Just couldn't be a nicer guy. Yeah, salt of the earth kind of guy that uh, never thought he was too big for anything. Uh, and the guy could hit 400 in his sleep. He could, yeah. And that's it. I remember I worked at a company doing the authentication. I worked at a company called PSA. And I think it was Strasburg's last college game ever. And Gwynn was the head coach, was at San Diego State. Mm -hmm. And they brought us in to witness it. My friend went, Scott, uh, who was our operations director. He's like, I'm going to go. So, they put him in the dugout and he had to sit next to Tony Gwynn the entire game. So anything that was game used that Strasburg used, we could mark it and certify it right on the spot. Kind of like MLB does now, yeah. but they had brought us in to do that. And he said they gave him a jacket and he sat next to Tony Gwynn the entire game. That's impressive. That's, <laughs> so that's pretty a, cool. Yeah. Watching a game with the, with the hall of famer. Yeah. So yeah, of course, yeah, you, you talk about authenticating, and you know, I've I've reached out to you a few times, wanted to get some gifts and things for my 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 dad and my brother and other folks. That you know, you go on eBay and you you have no idea what you're getting. I mean, it could say authenticated, it may not even be. It, it may be some guy in his underwear signing a basketball, huh, Michael Jordan, you know. And right. it's so difficult these days. And 
know, I, I wonder too what you would give advice to, to people that, you know, we're getting toward the holidays, you know, people are going to want to buy some, some gifts of that nature. I mean, is there any suggestions that you have to make sure that what you're getting is real? Yeah, I always tell people the same thing. First of all, use common sense. Um, you know, a lot of people just don't know. They're like, oh, I'll go buy a Michael Jordan for my nephew or my brother. Um, for years, there's been, actually, there's been a few busts here in Chicago, big autograph forgery rings in Chicago in the early 90s. San Diego had a huge one in the 90s. Um, th these guys, there's probably more fake Jordans than there are real Jordans. Um, it's, it's really gotten out of control and people just look and say, well, oh my God, that photo is a hundred dollars. I'll get that. They don't know. They truly don't know what, uh, a Jordan autograph looks like the concept of what his autograph has value. When you say to someone, oh, that's worth, when someone doesn't know what an autograph is worth, oh, that's worth $400. Oh, get out of here. How can that be worth that much? It's just what the, it's what it's worth in a marketplace. I mean, common sense, look for authentication, look for a certified third party. You know, MLB has a great program where you've seen it for years. The guys are right there on the field right. and they certify stuff. When I worked at PSA, we used to have representatives that did it with the NFL as well too. So they would just be there, take all the balls, sign stuff that the players would give. And MLB's done a great job of it. We do third party authentication. So we do stuff, we do all kinds of stuff. So we witness signings, we authenticate stuff that's already been signed. Um, I, you know, between my team, the guys that work with me, we've had, and I, you know, I mean, I started getting autographs when I was eight years old. Um, so and I'm 50, I mean, I'm old, uh, but it's been, a, I've been doing it a long time, but look for that, look for third party and don't just buy foolishly. And that's what people end up doing during the holiday seasons all the time. They buy pretty foolishly. They just think they know what they're doing. And listen, we all, we all want that feeling like we know what we're doing in life, but I mean, there's jobs that you couldn't do. There's jobs that I couldn't do. I mean, it's not like you're going to walk into a law office or, uh, you know, a courtroom and be like, judge, you know, uh, get out of here, please. Um, <laughs> it's not your specialty. So, you know, where things are your specialty, um, look for companies like Beckett Authentication I worked for. I used to work for PSA DNA. There's a company called JSA. Just look for that or even look for the, if you want to buy a Tony Gwynn baseball, maybe find one that was done by MLB. You know, I mean, it's important to look for that stuff because people love Mike Trout, but Mike Trout is heavily forged. His autograph minimally starts at like 350, not $25. So if you're buying Mike Trout autographs for 40 bucks, you're probably buying something that's fake. So just be very careful because it is the, it's still the wild west. Um, and it goes that way for art stuff and game use memorabilia and all that stuff that people like to show off. And I can't tell you how many homes I've been to, even in the Chicago area where people have like a full run. You look on the wall, it's all the, the bulls years, you know, I'm like, well, those are all fake. And everyone always has the same story. Oh no, 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 man. Those came right out of the locker room. That's uh, my friend got those. Sure you did. And yeah. I did some work. I did some work in Lombard yesterday, Thursday, and um, um, I probably saw, I would say, five or six fake Bulls team items from the 90s just there. And I've seen thousands of them. So they're always out there. Be very careful. And if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I've seen you uh, disappoint uh, a number of folks on, uh, on Pawn Stars with that. And first of all, let's talk a little bit about that show too, because it's, sure. it's an intriguing show to me and I, I got hooked on it and I didn't even realize you were on it. And all of a sudden I'm like, Whoa, wait a minute. I know that guy. And my girlfriend's <laughs> like, yeah, sure you do. I'm like, yes, I do. Trust me. I do. Yeah. Um, how'd you get started in that? Because, uh, you know, you're, you're authenticating things obviously for a living at that point. And how did you get connected with those guys? Well, the, actually the story is really cool one. Uh, in 09, they started, 
they wanted to film the pilot. They contacted the company I was with at the time. And my company's like, no, we're not interested. Um, first, they contacted the people above me. You know, they didn't go right to me. And they said, hey, do you want to do this? I said, no, we've got other projects we're working on. Okay. So the show takes off, goes crazy. They hired a guy named Drew Max. And uh, he was their first autograph guy. He'd come in the show. It was a big briefcase. I mean, I came and show you. It was like, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like one of these briefcases that Les Grobstein might carry around and take all the programs from uh, a game. <laughs> At any rate, it's so large. He's got this huge, yeah, it's very large. But then he would pull out, like he'd, 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 put, he'd, he'd always open it up and go inside of it. And then he'd have a magnifying glass. So that's the guy they had on originally. Well, he wasn't that good. He was he was really bad at what he did. He cost them a lot of money. Matter of fact, he cost Rick. I think Rick Rick told me it was like forty five fifty thousand. Mm. Just buying bad stuff. So about two thousand twelve, they just pushed him off the show in June. They had a while where they didn't have a guy, and in January two thousand thirteen, um, my boss at the time said, "Hey, call this number," and it turned out to be the casting department that uh, runs Ponsar's production company, and. I think that they, they asked me, they're like, have you done TV? And I said, well, yeah, I've done TV. I was in radio forever. And they're like, all right, this should work. You, you think you could be on TV? I said, yeah. And it just started after that. And I, I think the amazing thing to me is I had no idea what in God's name was going on the first time I showed up. I was sick. Uh, I was drinking uh, tea and honey for hours, trying to get better. I mean, I was really sick. And I filmed two episodes that day. Um, and I look back at them out horrible there. And um, I've learned a lot since then. So I've done all this like experience now I have radio experience which is a lot of fun but the tv stuff is different you know I mean you have a microphone you work in front of obviously you want to be at the top of your game every time when you do tv it's usually two cameras maybe three um production people around you microphone guy you know sound guy um it's a lot more nerve-wracking but the more I got used to it it's kind of like what we talked about earlier with radio and, and doing a sports cast or going on and doing a you know a two-minute sports cast at first, it seemed like a lot to me, like how many get through all this, but it became like just elementary after a while. So like doing the show, they have it so down that everything I do is just easy. I don't need to do much. I could just come in, do my thing, go over the item. The only bad part is that you get sellers that are pretty nervous and you get older people or just people that like, imagine this, you know, you come in and you've got two cameras facing you. You might have a camera over here and maybe one, there might be three or four. So it's kind of nerve wracking. And then these people don't want to mess up. So we do a lot of takes and sometimes we do a ton of takes. It's, it, it could get that way. And I'll tell you the the experiences I've had, I never thought I would ever be able to do it. And um, I think the crowning achievement we filmed last October in England, and then that stuff aired last December. And the whole show, I was like, I was on for like 40 minutes of the show. Mm -hmm. And they filmed so much stuff of like Rick and I walking and talking and, and cars and going through stuff. It was, it was unlike anything I've ever had a chance to do. And I don't know if I'll be able to do it again. I hope so. But I mean, I'm still filming with the show. I think just wrapping up, I want to say season 18 wraps up. It got extended. So I have to film again in December, just one more day. So they asked me if you could film one day in December just be ready to go. So um, I'll be ready to go. But it's, I, I never thought I would be doing this that long. It's been almost uh, eight years. Hmm. And I never, ever thought it would be this long. Matter of fact, they don't keep up with their IMDb. So I have to edit it myself. So I have to do add all my info because a production company doesn't do it. So I try to keep on top of it. So it's, it actually gets to be pretty tedious. I spent like weeks doing it. 
uh, just going through episode after episode and finding me because I had no idea. So it's, I will tell you, it's been a great ride. I, I don't get recognized obviously that much not to wear a mask all the time, but um, the recognizing thing is, is really weird too. I mean, you're on radio. Yeah. So do people recognize you? Just once in a while, cause you do some TV appearances here and there yeah. promoting things or, or whatever on a sports show. But sometimes if you talk and you tell them, yeah, I'm in broadcasting. Like, oh, wait a minute, I've heard you before. But yeah, I mean, TV is a whole you, lot yeah. different story. TV is a different story, and then so I, I, it's just very strange when people do recognize you, and it and it happens, I think, overseas more than anything. So if I'm in uh, London, I've been recognized there a lot more than America, and it's really strange. I had I, I had left a memorabilia. I was doing a comic show for my company. I was walking down the block, I'd left. I was walking back to my hotel. And, and all of a sudden this lady looks at me younger and her husband and they have a little kid and they start yelling and they don't speak English <laughs> and they chase me down the block to meet me. They, I mean, they could say hello. And that was, it. I think they were from Poland or something, but they were very nice people, but they recognize my work and people do from time to time, but I'm, I, I like it just not, I, I like just being um, just who I am and not that persona. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's a good gig. It could end tomorrow. And I, I take it for everything it is. And it's been a lot of fun. So I don't take it for granted. Yeah, it amazes me too, because if you're just watching this show and you don't know anything about production, you're thinking, oh, well, Steve is on call 24 hours a day. And all of a sudden he's going to walk into the store and he's got the iPad and he's got his magnifying glass and he's all ready to go. But I mean, obviously it's, there's days that they have you there because you don't live in Vegas. Um, right. I don't. And, but it's it, some stuff I can't talk about, some stuff yeah. I can, but I'll tell you that I'm ready to go when they need me, there's days blocked off. I mean, just think of it this way, Andy. I mean, they have a whole team in New York, probably 30, 40 people. They've got probably 12 people that work in Vegas. So it's a production team. It's yeah. a production company that runs the show because it's not like, you know, Rick could run a show himself. And yeah. Rick, had, Rick had been this huckster for years. Rick had always been trying to get on TV. Um, he, he showed me a clip one time. It was, it's on YouTube or something where he, he wanted to get an early start on TV. So I think they did like a YouTube thing and he always thought he could be that guy. And I think he sold them on it. They came in and he sold ITV on it probably back in 2008 or 2009. And the rest of his history has turned out pretty well. I mean, the store, when I started doing the show, when I started doing the show back in 2013 or so, that line would go around the building. And sometimes in the summer it still does because they'd shut down for filming. They only let a certain amount of people in. And then his dad passed away, which is a couple of years ago. It's still been uh, really hard for them to accept that and move on from it. It's been really difficult. And now with COVID, the episodes that are starting, I think they started this past Monday, are going to be very different. And they're going to look totally different because there's a lot of restrictions in place for filming. Yeah, I can imagine. I can really imagine. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because, you know, Rick has got that personality. I've, I've never met the guy. I've always seen the show. And, you know, obviously I... I know you a lot better than I would know him, but the, the knowledge base that he has about things, it's incredible. I mean, just not even just, you know, present day things, but things that go back to the 1700s. I mean, this guy knows everything. It's not, I will tell you this much. It's not off like bio sheets, cheat sheets, Wikipedia, nothing. It all resides in here. It's something that I've never seen before. Um, we could go on and talk about a Ringo Starr item. We could go on and talk about a George Washington item. Go on and talk about the Beatles. Go talk about any movie star, famous person. He just has it all right off the top of his head. It's, it's, it's something else. It really is. He's very good at that. 
That's that's one thing I'll say the first time I met him when I filmed in 2013, literally the first thing he did is um, he started talking to me. He started saying, hey, I only read books. I love reading books. He's like, I don't sit on the internet all the time. Um, I'm always reading, reading, reading. So that's been his life. You know, he's very good at it. And, you know, to make a show entertaining, you, know, I mean, you obviously have to have not just that knowledge and some cool items coming in, but you have to have the personalities to make a show worth watching. Right. And I, I watched some early episodes and just the way that he's loosened up and the way that he's kind of brought in his son and, and Chumley and the, the rest of the, the gang there, it, it just, it's, it's kind of like a, a little reality show when we watch these guys grow up on TV. Well, you should, you should watch them grow up behind the scenes. It's even more interesting. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I can absolutely imagine. I could, I could tell you a lot of stuff. I would get in really big yeah, trouble I don't, for it. I don't... <laughs> I'll just say this much. It's a lot of fun. I, I've learned a lot from Rick. Um, and I've learned a lot about being on TV now. I mean, I'd love to do my own show someday. It'd be a lot of fun. I just don't know if it would ever happen. But, you know, um, having a camera in your face all the time, yeah. that's the unfun part of it. And I still don't know how people do it on all these reality shows and you know, uh, um, uh, loved it for, love at first sight or these marriage shows where they have the camera in your face yeah, 24 seven, you know, this is a small time where you've got the cameras going around you. Um, but that type of stuff would drive me crazy. So I think it'd be interesting and fun, but you never know. You know, I mean, I'm not getting any younger, so, um, you know, now's the time, <laughs> time to get on with it. Strike yeah. when the iron's hot. You know, yeah, that, let's go. that iPad that you have, um, is, is, are the examples, from your collection or are they from things that you've had authenticated through your company? That'll just be stuff that we either done at Beckett or that I find, uh, I'll ask guys that I know or, or my exemplars or stuff that I've got filed mm -hmm. away. Um, and I usually like to show two or three examples. Sometimes uh, I like to show an auto pen or something, a secretarial, you know, different stuff. We want to add a little suspense to. So that's kind of like what they like to do too. The, they, they always like to add suspense. And I will tell you this, you know, some of the stuff that I can talk about, mm -hmm. you know, um, we shoot different camera angles. We have to shoot stuff over a lot. Um, but that that buying and selling thing, when they get that going, that's all just between them. And it's, you know, um, there's a lot of times people disagree with my prices and that's okay. I don't mind. But a lot of people have these preconceived notions because they think this is, this Babe Ruth check is like worth $10,000. Well, really it's worth 3,500 or 4,000. So let's get you back down to earth. And you know, Rick usually knows when he wants to buy something, I could tell because, especially in an autograph piece, he'll, if I say something's worth 4000 he might offer 2500 or 3000 You know, he might start right. a little high because he wants it so bad. Um, he knows that his store is an easy place to sell stuff too because the volume of people that get in there, if, if this thing has been on TV, someone wants it. They want to be able to have it and say, hey, that piece was on Pawn Stars. It was on TV. I own it. So people like saying that. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, just, you know, you, you wouldn't think that a, a show about a, a pawn shop would even last a season, you know, because what are you going to do? You're seeing some guys come in and they want to sell something. They want to hawk something so they can, you know, go out and do whatever they want to do. And next thing you know, you get all these crazy items. And some of the things, the worst part for me is I look at some of these items and I'm like, wait a minute, I had that. And I don't know where the hell it is now, you know, and it's like worth, worth money. It drives me crazy. Yeah. Save your credentials. That I have. I have saved those. As a matter of fact, I had to go through a bunch of stuff uh, when my girlfriend moved in. We had to condense a lot of things. And I yeah. have, I had a room filled with, I mean, I have signed baseballs from my days with the Cubs when the seventh inning stretch would start. I, I've got celebrities signing baseballs. I have a Gary Sinise signed baseball, you know, from, from there. And 
and I have all these programs and I have all these credentials and I have little buttons and, I, and she's like, what do you need all that stuff for? I'm like, it, it, it could, it could be our house one day. You know I mean? Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Just put it away, take a few bins and put it away. It's not going to yeah. bother anybody. Yeah. No, it's not bothering anybody. It's in the basement. It's all good now. Yeah. I, I got, I got permission <laughs> to, to do that. So I'll have to go oh, back through that one of these days. And I, I have some things I have to email you because I, some of these balls that were signed, I have no idea who they are. It's been sure, so long. I have no clue who they are. Of course. Yeah, sure. Uh, speaking, of, speaking of collections, what, what, yes. do, you, what do you uh, consider one of your or top five prized possessions that you have right now? Mm, I, I think one of the most, uh, I, I think some of the coolest pieces I have, I have a Star Wars poster with the original cast plus Alec Guinness Cushing, which is very difficult. Something I kind of hold very near and dear to me. Um, it's, I think it's the unique stuff. I, I, and it's some stuff that's not worth a lot of money. Like I have a Dan Hampton photo. I believe it was, uh, November 7th, 8th, 9th. It was right after Peyton died, but the bears had, had, uh, um, a memorial that Saturday for Peyton at soldier field. And I went to it and, um, Dan Hampton gave a great speech. And I think the bears boarded their bus, went to green Bay, played in green Bay, and uh, I believe the Bears were about to lose and block field goal. Yep. I can't remember who did it. And, but the, the whole speech about, you know, uh, Hampton wrote, so he, he said so beautifully, you know, when my daughter grows up, I'll be able to say, you know, so, along those lines, Walter right. Payton, the greatest server was. So I had him write all that on a photo one day. And he enjoyed doing it. He said he never did it. And it was him from that day. And I love that piece. I mean, it's like, there's stuff like that. You know, I have a big Lebowski poster with Jeff Bridges and John Goodman. And, but I have so much other stuff that I truly value and enjoy. But there's a few pieces where I'm like, God, I just love those pieces so much, you know. But it might be the weirdest thing, too. You know, there might be, um, you know, Clint Eastwood or just something strange or somebody signed something special to me. Carlton Fisk wrote this uh a long, really long inscription on a photograph to me that's special to me because I, I go back to about 85, 86. Mm -hmm. I grew up in or Orland Park. He lived in Lockport, so it was like two towns over. And one day a friend of mine's like, hey, you know, I know where Fisk's house is. I didn't drive, my friend did. Went over there and he would always be doing yard work in the office. It was, it was in October, November, and I got to know Fisk. Every year I'd go back, say hi to him, talk to him. And eventually I got to know them. Then I would, I, before I covered the teams, I was friends with a lot of players. So they would bring me in the clubhouse. So then Fisk got to know me there. And then he'd see me at events. And then before you know it, we've been friends all these years. So it's just stuff like that. It, I mean, some of it has really good value. Some of it, you know what, to be honest with you, Carlton Fisk signed photos worth 80 bucks. But to me, it's worth a lot more for what he wrote. And same with Dan Hampton, because it's just really special to me. And it's something I would obviously never get rid of, you know. But I don't hang stuff. I don't have stuff hanging, you know, just one. I have a Bill Belichick signed photo hanging where he wrote a really long inscription to me. So uh, my friend uh, went to college with him and they were best friends. And hmm. um, this, tell, not to get sidetracked, but it just tells you, I mean, I, I, he gets a lot of flack. I respect him as a coach, but he has guys recruiting people when they're still in junior high, high school and getting to know them, even if the Patriots don't draft them. He wants to know everything he can on the top players in the country. He's got a guy that does that, gets to know their families, their people, <laughs> and all the people around him and befriend these people. And if the Patriots end up drafting him, he feels he's got a better edge. So that's, that's how far ahead he is. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to those the autographs, you know, when, when my brother and I used to go to ball games, we would take our pens and we would go down to the front row and we'd get an autograph. 
And when we were getting autographs, you know, we're talking mid to late seventies, early eighties, when we were, were doing these kind of things. And I don't ever remember one time looking at my brother going, boy, I wonder what this is worth. You know, I wonder if we can get some money for this. When did that all change? I mean, because there's a lot of people now that obviously are in this for money and they're in it for their own business purposes. And, you know, obviously your business is built around that as well. But I never had that that inkling in my mind to say, oh, boy, this could be this could be worth something later. Uh, when did that all change? Uh, it's changed about uh, right about the late 90s. And that was the explosion of eBay. And eBay somehow just boom, went crazy. People said, oh, wow, I get good money for this started selling stuff on there. I did for a few years and then I'd stopped um, because I just, I couldn't do it anymore, but it, it, it was that boom right there. And for years, celebrities have always said, you're just going to sell this anyway. And I had heard it many times. There was always an underground, you know, uh, of selling before eBay, before stuff became popular online, because quite honestly, uh, the internet wasn't around where you could get it and use it until about 94, 95, 96 range. Uh, eBay came along and kind of changed how you could buy and sell stuff. So then it exploded and changed. And that's what really propelled everything and changed it all. So instead of, um, you know, uh, players would sign, they'd know that, oh, you're just selling this. You got, you know, you people, they'd use little kids to get autographs from and everything so yeah. they could get stuff signed. You know, Tiger Woods was on this from an early age, knowing that people are just out to profit off his signature. He was personalizing stuff at a very early age. And there were people back in the many years ago that knew it too, but once eBay hit, then it was over. And then, you know, they, they, they say, oh, or before that, they say, you're going to sell this at a baseball card show or just silly stuff like that. But it was really eBay that changed the whole thing. You, know, you, you bring up guys like Tiger Woods. Are, are there autographs that you, people will have you authenticate and look at and, and all of a sudden your eyes just pop because it's so rare that this guy or this girl or this woman or this person signs. Is there one that stands out to you? Well, I, th I think the one that I'll, I always get is baseball. You know, when I see Christy Matthewson died at such an early age, uh, uh, he was infected, I, I believe, with a chemical from World War One, And, you know, he, he didn't live that long until 1926 or something. Um, when I see stuff that's super rare and uh, even um, uh, now, now I'm going to uh, blank here, Keith Ledger, um, you know, when you see stuff like that, River Phoenix, um, the, the young actors that go to, you know, that have gone way before their time, um, Amy Winehouse, who, you know, these people weren't that easy to get. And when you see their autograph, you're like, wow, I haven't seen a lot of that. Um, it tends to be pretty rare and it tends to be pretty eye popping. And also the experiences I have where I could be up in Mill Creek, uh, Washington, which is about 40 miles north of Seattle. And someone will bring in a, um, like a 1934 tour of Japan baseball where they, you know, Gehrig and Ruth and all those guys went over to Japan and played baseball. And I'm like, it's, now this is somewhere at someone's house, you know, outside Seattle. I mean, it's weird, but it happens all the time. I can be in Omaha, Nebraska, and someone will bring in a great item signed by uh, a baseball player, a football player, Ernie Davis, or, you know, uh, the Heisman winner who passed away early. It's just stuff like that. I see it, and I get really excited for it. Um, Niall Kinnick, Newt Rockney, that stuff you don't see every day. It's not like seeing um, – you know, a Jody Davis autograph. It's a lot different. <laughs> I would imagine. Probably a lot yeah. different value as well. <laughs> yeah, but hey, Jody had a song written about him. So, I mean. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> Harry Carey would love to, love to sing about Jody, Jody Davis. Yeah, uh, Jody. Jody exactly. Davis. Oh, I didn't know we were going to have a little sing-along. I would have little words on the <laughs> bottom of the screen here for you. Uh, in addition to your, uh, to your work with Pawn Stars, what else, uh, what else keeps you busy? What, what are you doing for your company? I mean, I, I hear you talking about traveling quite a bit. 
Yeah, I try, well, I try, you know, I do try to keep the travel down. It's, it, I, you know, I worked from 2002 to 2000, um, or 2002 to 2016 for PSA DNA, Professional Sports Authenticator. Left that, had a chance to start an authentication firm with Beckett Authentication. As kids growing up, you might have saw the Beckett magazines. Yep. They did the price guides, Dr. James Beckett. Um, but then they started a card grading company. But for years, it's not easy to find guys that could authenticate autographs. There's just a handful of people. So it took that long for them to finally find a team of guys. And it was perfect timing. My contract was up at PSA, had a chance to join, join Beckett. And really for the first three, four years, we've kind of canvassed the country. Once COVID hit, we're kind of like, what do we do? Well, the first month or two was rough, but after that we figured it out. And actually business is better now than it was pre-COVID. So, um, and we don't do, you know, the thing is we do shows. So this weekend in Chicago would be uh, the Chicago Sports Spectacular in Rosemont. That's always the same weekend. It's the weekend before Thanksgiving. Always. We'd always be there. Same in March. The big shows in uh, the Nationals, usually in Chicago in the summer. Um, but right now there's no shows. We're just finding other ways to do business. And I'll do little appearances here and there. Um, you know, just see some clients like I will today at their yeah. homes. And um, that's about it. It stays very low key right now. It's, it's a different time. Um, and obviously COVID's given us a chance to kind of reboot things in a better way. So it's actually been beneficial, but it still is not easy to get around. And, and, and when I first started traveling in May, I was just doing all my car and then started flying gradually and realizing, okay, this isn't too bad. I mean, would you rather drive to Dallas or would you rather fly to Dallas? Well, let's see. Uh, flight wise, it's, it's pretty easy. It's two hours driving wise. It's almost 14. So yeah. it's like, I think I'm probably going to do the flight, figured it out with my girlfriend. It tended up to be pretty safe. Um, and we just started flying and didn't doing some flying after probably sometime in July or August. And it turned out, you know, we felt pretty good about it. So, and here I am. I flew to Chicago, didn't drive. Yeah. It'd have been a long drive. You'd probably still be on the road. Uh, yeah, thanks. I appreciate yeah, no, that. No problem. <laughs> hey, where can, uh, where can folks find you and follow you? Because you're a great follower. I love, I love seeing some of your, uh, the pictures of you with celebrities and getting, getting things signed. Where can people follow you? Uh, probably the best place is Instagram, which I don't post a lot. I need to start posting more. It's the real Steve grad on Instagram or Twitter is Steve underscore grad where I just make a lot of bad comments about the bears usually mostly, but I also talk about autographs and places I'm at and stuff like that. You know, I mean, as a bears fan, it's, um, it's, it's been a really long road. <laughs> yes. Yes. It it's has. been so horrible. I was trying to think about this. I think the five and one start was fine. And then they've lost all these games in a row. And I think back to might've been during Tressman. I think they had two games in a row where they, they got rung up for 50 points, maybe yeah. the Patriots and the Packers. Mm -hmm. I think you're and right. I remember those games. I've watched every game or go to them. And I'm like, uh, I, I think this is worse right now. You know, it's very difficult to watch a team that has a hundred yards of offense in the fourth quarter. It's, it's not awe-inspiring. Yeah. With an offensive minded coach. Yeah. Great job. He's done spectacular. And we could talk about that forever, but it's difficult. So I'm trying to think, is this worse than Mark Tressman? But I, it might actually be worse than Mark Trestman. I, I, those games were painful to watch. When you have teams hanging up 50s on you, it's like back to back. But this, yeah. watching this debacle, I'd say this is worse for me as a fan. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of similarities in the, uh, the stubbornness of each of the head coaches in question here, uh, both coming with that great offensive reputation and uh, wanting to be hands-on at all times rather than worrying about yeah. coaching a football team. Yeah, and that went by the wayside. Yeah, 
And I think that's, that turns into micromanaging and he seems like a nice guy. I've never met him. Really nice. I've guy. always liked his, yeah, I've loved his personality. He seems like a guy I would love to talk to, but you know, maybe he'll get it. Maybe he won't. Obviously last week was the first week using a new, uh, the offense coordinator. So hopefully it'll work. I don't know who their quarterback's going to be. I, you know, going to a backup who has one, I think he had one snap coming mm-hmm. into the fourth quarter action last yep, week. That's Tyler Bray. Yep. They always talk about that, having a good backup in the NFL. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah. Well, worked out I good. can't remember the last time they actually had one, but uh, yeah. well, I mean, maybe this year, because it was supposed to be Trubisky and then Foles, who's won a Super right. Bowl. So I guess that was kind of the way that it was, was supposed to work out. But. but then you bring in Mitch for a running play and he's out for six weeks. So I just don't, I still don't get any of what they're trying to do. I think the cute plays, if you're a really good team, you could pull off cute plays. That's no problem. Yeah, that's the if truth. If you're the Bears, you shouldn't even be doing that. Just try and run standard offense and score some points. I mean, it's really simple. You know, get the ball, throw the ball, catch the ball, score. And again, you're proving the point that uh, those that don't live in Chicago don't get <laughs> to the fact that this is still a Chicago Bears town, heads heads above anything. It is. And it's tough. And it's tough to sit there and watch it. So thank God they're off this weekend. Thank God. It's it's a nice break. I actually found out they're two and a half point underdogs at the bye. (laughs) So bet the bye. Okay. I got the bye. Give the two and a half. No problem. You take the under or over? Is there an under Uh, or over? I would say, you know, they haven't set the number yet. I think there's been injuries on the bye side. So we've got to find out if there's a, a COVID situation with bye. Anyway. Well, you know, the Bears are still only capable of scoring about, oh, I don't know, 18 points or 17, whatever it is. It's impressive. Yeah. You know, they always talk about how you want you want to keep the Bears out of your backyard, just paint a goal line and put some goalposts up and they'll never bother you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm covering the team during the Dave Wanstead era, I believe. So I'm, I'm, I think you were there too. So there yeah, was... I, had, I had the Dick Duron, Lovey Smith eras. Uh, yeah. Good guys too, but uh, yeah, not a lot of great football that we uh, were, were treated to on the Lakeshore there. Someday, though. Someday, you're right. right someday. Someday, someday. It's only the third largest market in the country. Yeah. The Bears are one of the oldest franchises, and they just uh, – I, I think they need to sell the franchise and move on, get some new blood in there, and change the environment. But uh, yeah. that's never going to happen. So And anyway. uh, redo the stadium so that it actually has a retractable dome so you can bring in a Super Bowl and a Final Four and, you know, be a little forward-thinking. Yeah. Things that would make sense? Yeah. I mean, you know, people will say, listen, it's bare weather. You don't want a dome. Well, no one says you got to close it during the during the winter. Keep it open. That's fine with me. But yeah. you, you got to close it for a final four. How much money you bring into the city? I, but they just redid it. What in two thousand one, two range yeah, somewhere in the whole so. two thousand two season. I was traveling to Champagne every other weekend. Yeah. Okay, which was a That's lot of fun. Time. A lot of fun. Oh good, yeah, good smells Great down time. in Champagne. Good. <laughs> right by the stock. I was yard. done by the. Thank God, I was done. Thank God. Okay, <laughs> you're, you're right about that. Hey, it's yeah. great catching up with you, and uh, I uh, keep up the great work there with the Pawn Star folks, and stay in touch Thanks. as I know I you always it. will during the uh, during the White Sox season. So uh, good to see you. And keep up the great work, and uh, I look forward. Hopefully, next season you're on with the guys. Sign, make them sign a long term contract, and you'll be fine. All right, great to catch up with Steve Grad from the Pawn Star Show and from Beckett Sports Authentications as well. Appreciate him taking some time. Really good to uh, to see him once again, and. Uh, to get some stories from him about Pawn Stars and other things. He's uh, definitely a passionate Chicago sports fan, as you can tell there, too. So, anyway, appreciate him coming on again. That's going to wrap up our edition here of the Andy Mazur Podcast. Again, you can f- subscribe to us, and you can listen to it We're basically wherever you uh, do your podcast listening. We're on iTunes and Spotify and others, so you can uh, certainly catch us and 
subscribe at that point as well. You can also get me at the anchor.fm website, and uh, that's where you can be able to use uh, the voice message uh, platform, and you can leave me some voice messages and uh, good ones. We'll put them on, and we'll put them on future podcasts as well. All right, so thanks again for listening. We appreciate it. I hope everybody has a great and safe Thanksgiving weekend, and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Take care.